This is Help Wanted, the show that tackles all the big work questions you cannot ask anyone else. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And I'm New York Times bestselling author and money expert, Nicole Lappin. The helpline is open. Have you ever not felt validated? No, uh, worse than that. Have you ever felt invalidated? Like all your hard work was for nothing, all your ambition slammed into the world's indifference, all the sacrifice just earned you more sacrifice? Well, good news. You are in great company with me and everyone. I'll give you an example. Uh, Maybe you caught this in the news recently, but I'm going to also make this pretty personal a little later. So there's a writer named Chelsea Banning. And she is a debut self-published novelist who released a fantasy novel called Of Crowns and Legends, which is set in the time of King Arthur. Now, in case you don't know, it is very, very hard to get awareness and sales for, well, any book, uh, let me tell you, but also for a self-published book in particular, just really hard stuff. So Chelsea organized her first official book signing at an Ohio bookstore, and it seemed like she was going to have a pretty good crowd. She had 37 people respond that they were going, which, again, to be clear, for a self-published novelist, that might as well be packing the Tokyo Dome. Like, it's a good crowd. She tweeted what happened next. We asked her to read it to you. Only two people came to my author signing yesterday, so I was pretty bummed about it, especially as 37 people responded going to the event. Kind of upset, honestly, and a little embarrassed. But here is what Chelsea did not know. That experience is so common. Every writer I know has gone through it. I have seen it up close and personal because my wife has written a few books and we went on a little book tour for one of them. And oh, I remember... We went to Boston, where we have a lot of friends, and that reading was a lot of fun because, you know, when your friends come out to readings, it's a great time. And then we drove up to a bookstore that had booked her in New Hampshire, and we showed up, and two people came, and they were both friends of ours. Like, nobody else. There was not a single stranger who appeared. And that is soul-crushing. It is like an erasing of every feeling of accomplishment you have. Because of course, you know, it's like you do something, you work really hard on it, like a book, and you you put it out into the world. And the only way that you feel validated is if you can see that it reached other people. You need other people to care about the thing that you did. Because otherwise it was like, well, what's the point of it? And then to go out and find that at least in this one particular case, the answer is zero people cared. That's really hard. And, you know, every non-writer has gone through this too. People who threw parties that nobody showed up to or spoke on stage to an empty room or just had high hopes for something that flopped. You know, uh, this whole thing is so common that The Onion once even made a joke about it. The headline was, author promoting book gives it her all, whether it's just three people or a crowd of nine people. We experience loneliness together. We feel ashamed because it seems that others are doing much better than we are. But we don't realize that others had the exact same experience that we did because we don't see it, because we all often hide it. Which is why I love what happened next. This is the thing that made news. This is the reason you would have heard of this if you've heard of it, which is that in response to Chelsea's tweet, 
giant writers just started sharing their own horror stories. So uh, Gary Steingart, who's a great novelist, he wrote, One of my first readings was in Lexington, Kentucky. 200 chairs set up, giant banner with my name on it. No one came. Zero people. It took two booksellers to take down the gigantic Gary Steingart banner, and they asked me if I'd like to take it home with me. I did not. And it just, it you know, it just sort of goes on and on like that. I've been traveling the country for the last few months in support of my new book. It's called Build for Tomorrow. It came out in September. And sometimes events are thrilling and gratifying, and other times they are, whew, they are sparsely attended, and they are a deep blow to my ego. And, you know, it takes... It takes a lot of work to get to these events. One example, I set aside a full day to take a train to an airport in a different city to then fly out to a city in the middle of nowhere where there was a college that really wanted me to be there. And I arrived and I showed up and there were like 10 people who came to see me. And I would say nine of them spent the entire time that I was speaking on their laptops or phones and they started to like dribble out as I was talking. And um, eventually I just kind of wrapped it up early because I was like, I, I, I feel bad for the ones who showed up and are going to feel bad getting up because now there are only five people left. And this is this is very, very hard. Like, this is just brutal. I, I have spoken in many rooms to many empty seats. And I have therefore also spent time trying to think, how do I process this? Because, you know, Chelsea is the lucky one. Chelsea had a cavalcade of great writers like ride into her rescue on Twitter and make her feel better. But we mostly don't have that. We get to suffer in silence. We get to carry our embarrassment with us. We just want to run away from any witnesses to our horror because at least if we're alone, then nobody can feel awkward around us. And we don't have to be reminded of just what they witnessed. And, you know, this isn't just about writers, obviously. I mean, I, I just said before, there are lots of ways in which you can feel totally invalidated. It, it happens at work. It happens in business. Who hasn't been an entrepreneur and launched a product and then discovered that zero people care? Who hasn't put their all into something at work and then their boss just hated it? Or even worse, ignored it. Like, you know, you send it off and then you just never hear back. And eventually you feel like you want to just creep backwards into the bushes like Homer Simpson. There's got to be some way in which we can process this. And because I have spent a long time thinking about it, because I think about it pretty much every time I go and speak somewhere and basically nobody shows up to hear me, I have spent quite a lot of time figuring it out for myself. And here's what I have found. So first, we can reframe it as a kind of progress. Because every time it happens to me, for example, every time I speak in an empty room, I tell myself this. I think, you know, everyone has a certain number of near empty rooms that they must speak in before those rooms get full. And I don't know how many rooms that will be for me. But whatever that number is, after right now, that number is one fewer. Like that that by itself, I will be honest, is just really helpful. 
Because starting out, you just have to remember that everybody has had this experience. You know, you think about Gary Steingart, who now can fill rooms where he speaks. Well, he did that because he's many steps ahead of someone who is still speaking in the empty rooms. Like he went through it and then he got out of it. And then everyone else has to go through that same crap, too. So we might as well just get going on with it. Right. Like if it's going to be bad, then let's get to it. Let's do it. Because the more empty rooms we can show up in, the fewer empty rooms we'll have to show up in in the future. And then secondly, we can focus on what can we control? And what we can control isn't necessarily how well something succeeds, but rather what we can learn from it or the impact we can make on the people who we do connect with. It requires some reframing, but and it's really helpful. It's it's one of the reasons why it's really valuable to talk to different people who have different experiences or see things from different sides because you get to realize that like there are measures of success that you may not be aware of. The, the very definition of success for one person can be different for someone else. And the more in which you realize that maybe you're just operating on too narrow a vision of what success looks like, the more you can realize that maybe something that feels like it's not success to you is still a success or at least a success to someone else. And I know that it's kind of abstract. So let me tell you a quick story. A few months ago, I traveled to a university and I had a fascinating conversation with the head of their entrepreneurship center. He he had brought me to speak to his students and there weren't that many people who showed up. <laughs> what I've learned is that it's very hard to get students to show up to basically anything. And uh, he told me, you know, look, he could book big celebrities to pack a hall with hundreds of students. And he's done that. He's done that. He was telling me about, you know, bringing Damon John from Shark Tank and and the auditorium is totally full and it's very exciting. But the thing is that those students have a mostly passive experience. You know, they, they, they can't all raise their hand and ask a question. They might be too intimidated to do so. There also isn't the time. So they may not be able to connect with Damon at all. They might as well have just gone to the movies. And as a result, they won't get something meaningful from that experience. And so what he prefers is actually to bring in people like me, where maybe only 20 students are going to show up, because the thing is, those 20 students will have a more intimate experience, and they'll feel more open to ask questions and interact, and they'll remember it longer, and it might impact their future. And I will tell you, when I speak to small groups, I I change my tone and demeanor. I don't give them a big speech. I try to turn it into more of a conversation. And I can watch. I can watch on these students' faces how, all right, fine, some of them are just totally checked out, but then there are some who are deeply engaged, who are nodding along to everything, who are going to ask multiple questions, who are going to come up to me afterwards and then ask more and then connect with me on LinkedIn. And I know I made a difference to that person. And yeah, fine. It would be more fun. It would be more of an ego boost if I traveled somewhere and there were like a thousand people giving me a standing ovation. But I don't know, I guess what happens if all thousand of them then go back to their rooms and forget about it because they didn't get to have a personal experience. And when I talked to 20 people, well, that made a difference. I really like thinking that way. You know, it's like it's fun to go big, but it's meaningful to go small. And then finally, one more thing that we can do. One more way that we can reframe disappointment in our own minds is that we can be more open about our failures and disappointments with others. Like 
I hope I'm doing right now because there's nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, this is the thing that connects us to others because everyone goes through the same bruising. I don't know if you know this, but there's only one kind of story in the world, only one. It's called the hero's journey. It's literally every movie that you've ever watched and every book that you've ever read. And it goes like this. It's three parts. Part one, I set out to do something. Part two, I experienced a setback. Part three, I overcame. People love that story. It's Star Wars. (laughs) It's great expectations. It's everything. But I'll tell you what we often like to do when we are trying to tell our story to others or even when we're trying to tell our story to ourselves, which is that we try to skip that second part. We tell a story that goes like this. Part one, I set out to do something. Part three, I succeeded. And we cut out that second part. We don't want people to hear it. We don't want people to hear about our failures and our embarrassments. But I will tell you something, and this is what I have found by hearing people's stories over and over again and watching people tell their stories and seeing how investors and customers respond to entrepreneurs who are telling their stories. And here it is. When you cut out part two, you cut out the part that everyone connects with. Like the on-ramp to you, the way in which people feel connected to you is in part two. It's in the, I had a setback. Why? Because nobody is setting out to do exactly what you did. That's part one of the story. And nobody will succeed in the way that you do or hopefully will, which is part three. Now, you know, when you just hear a success story, you always think, well, good for you. But it's when you hear the setback, the struggle, the things that people went through, that's when you feel like you connect to others. And that's when you feel like you can trust them. When I talk to investors, they tell me that one of the things that they hate the most is hearing from entrepreneurs who hide all setbacks, who just say things are great, who will not tell them how and when things went wrong because they know things go wrong. Things always go wrong. An investor knows that an entrepreneur's journey is not going to be straight and it is not going to be just up, up, up. And so they know things have gone wrong. And if an entrepreneur won't cop to it, then the investor knows that the entrepreneur is hiding something. And that diminishes trust. What they want to hear is the setback. What we all should want to share is the setback. You hopefully feel better about me in this episode because I am telling you about traveling around the country and being incredibly embarrassed because nobody has shown up. That is more relatable than if I only told you about how I travel the country and I have people like screaming my name Beatles style. That's because I've gotten comfortable with part two because part two is what matters. And you know what? Chelsea Banning, that self-published writer who kicked this whole crazy thing off on Twitter? Well, Chelsea learned this too. Because by the end of that first week when her tweet totally went viral and all these writers were sharing their own stories, Chelsea was starting to get interest from agents and publishers, which is the absolute dream of any self-published author. And she was also getting a lot of sales. I I looked at her Amazon ranking just a few days after her tweet, and she was number 198 in the Kindle store. 198 is amazing. 
Like, it's possible to be number 300,000 in the Kindle store. She is 198. I will tell you, I got nowhere near that when my book launched. I think the best that I did was in the 4,000s because selling books is really, really hard. But you know what? Everything is really, really hard. That's what we all have in common. And the more that we share it, the more that we connect, and the more that we make things for us all a little easier. Help Wanted is a production of Money News Network. Help Wanted is hosted by me, Jason Pfeiffer. And me, Nicole Lappin. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoy. If you want some help, email our helpline at helpwanted at moneynewsnetwork.com for the chance to have some of your questions answered on the show. And follow us on Instagram at Money News and TikTok at Money News Network for exclusive content and to see our beautiful faces. Maybe a little dance? Oh, I didn't sign up for that. All right. Well, talk to you soon. 